I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Sit, boo-boo, sit, boo-boo, sit. Girl, I do Some bad hat, Harry. It's a cool show. Not a doctor. Bye, have a good one. From your life. Hello and welcome to Hunting Seasons, the podcast that dares to binge watch, deep dive and break down a season of television each and every episode. I'm Broderick Gordis. And I'm Damask Leary. And today we'll be discussing Hacks Season 1. And to help us do that, we are joined once again by host of the Swapcast podcast and honorary third chair of this podcast, Mr. Paul Mitzi. Paul, it's been far too long. <laughs> I know. Have you guys been avoiding me? Absolutely. <laughs> Stay the fuck away. How do you end up back on this show? Uh, I weasel my way back in somehow Nagging every us. time. <laughs> we Nagging can't get rid of this guy. He just keeps popping up again. But yeah, you guys watching this? You guys watching this? You should review this. Can I come on the podcast? Uh, what a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's good to have you back, man. Uh, not that we good haven't be been back. talking and doing things behind the scenes. We've been hanging out and doing stuff. That's true. Yeah. We've got a little Zoomies. movie club that we yeah. have. You know, every fortnight we talk about a movie and that's very fun. That's why I feel like Paul was on the podcast last week. Yeah. But he <laughs> yeah. wasn't. Yeah, yeah. What was the last one you on for? Was it It's a Sin? Uh, yeah, I think that was the last episode I was on for. That feels like a million years ago. It really mm. does, yeah. I think that was earlier this year. I can't remember. Yeah, it was hey, this year. How have you been, Paul? Yeah, can't complain. Um, just been... Working and watching TV shows. <laughs> Beautiful. Classic Paul. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know. <laughs> How are things going over at the Swapcast podcast? Yeah, really good. Um, so we just did our tenuous swap episode was the latest one released. So that one we, uh, where we make each other watch our recommendations. So um, I watched um, My So-Called Life. So it was kind of like a, oh. a mini episode of the, the hunting seasons. We all watching seasons of Still TV shows. Our fucking format. <laughs> so yeah, I watched a whole season of, or well, almost a whole season of My So Called Life, um, which I'd never watched before. Um, and Brendan had to watch a whole season of How to Sell Drugs Online Fast, the um, Netflix series as well, okay. which is one of my personal favorites. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, uh, have you either of you guys seen My So Called Life? No. no, I've always wanted to. It's one of those things like. The reason we made this podcast, like there's certain seasons of television that we, or shows in television that we need to watch. Yeah. My so-called life for me is absolutely one of those shows. Yeah. Is it it worth doing, Paul? I think so. Like you can see a lot of the DNA of other teen shows really came from that. So um, I think it's interesting on that level. And also to see like the birth of, you know, Claire Danes and Jared Leto's careers as well is interesting. Yeah. yeah, so I, I would definitely give it a show, a watch, and definitely as a time capsule to the '90s as well. The the fashion and the music and the cultural references. Like if you grew up in that time, you'll definitely get it, the warm and fuzzies from it. And it's only one season. 
Yeah, it's one 19-episode season. Oh, that's right. That's how long. They used to have that many episodes and seasons of television, didn't they? Yeah. Boy, I'm glad we don't have to do that anymore. <laughs> anyway, let's get to our spoiler-free review of Hacks Season 1. Let me clue you in. Season in review. Hacks is an American comedy drama streaming television series created by Lucia Anilio, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Statsky, known best for their work on Broad City, and Statsky's case, Parks and Recreation, The Good Place, and Lady Dynamite. The series centers around Deborah Vance, a legendary Las Vegas stand-up comedy diva who hires up-and-coming but recently cancelled writer Ava to try and maintain relevance as a headline casino act. The show premiered on HBO Max on May 13th, 2021, although I'm assuming... All of us here have watched it on Stan in Australia. And stars Gene Smart, Hannah Einbinder, Carl Clemens Hopkins, Caitlin Olsen, the aforementioned Paul W. Downs, Popular You, Megan Stoltler, and Christopher Shooter McGavin McDonald, who just seems to keep popping up all over the place recently. A bit like Paul. Hack Season 1 <laughs> consists of 10 episodes, each coming in around 30 minutes, and took us around 5 hours to watch. In June of 2021, HBO Max renewed the series for a second season. So before we get to our spoiler-free reviews, guys, why did we decide to watch and review Hacks? Um, so I saw murmurings of this show on Twitter. And I was like, this looks right up my alley. And I may have preempted Stan's release of this show. Um, so you didn't watch it on Stan? <laughs> no, I, all, I re-watched it on Stan. I absolutely did. Um, you know, Stan, a sponsor support. of the show, I might add. I keep support. getting those. Every time I listen to the podcast back, I'm getting Stan ads. So you better have watched it on Bloody Stan, is what I'm saying. <laughs> I, I, I 100% did. I Good. assure you I did. Uh, but I was just so excited and in Australia, sometimes get a bit nervous that we're not going to get something, um, aka Harley Quinn season two, still waiting oh for that. Oh my God. I can't believe we're still waiting for that. We're going to start um, like an online campaign about this. This is getting ridiculous. Yeah. Mm. So as soon as I heard about it, I was like, all right, download, let's check this out. And I did. And I then immediately recommended that we do it for the podcast. So yeah. So it was mostly Twitter that fueled my desire to watch it. What about you, Paul? Yeah, I didn't know a whole lot about the show apart from the fact that Gene Smart was in it and that everybody was claiming it was one of the best shows of the year and then it got like a raft of Emmy nominations. Mm -hmm. Um, So just on that, I was like, I got to watch it. And the fact that it's 10, 30-minute episodes is always appealing to me. Like I, I love a short show. Always helps when it's like digestible. Um, yeah, I think mostly apart from Damask suggesting, and I think then you did as well, Paul. Eventually, um, Twitter was just always talking about Gene Smart's performance um, and, and raving about hacks. So it was an easy, an easy one to get to once we realised it was coming to stay in Australia. So with that in mind, Paul, do you want to give your spoiler-free review first? Okay. Um- Sorry if this is a bit boring. I didn't really have anything controversial to say about this <laughs> this show. Um, Hacks is a great show, and I pretty much loved everything about it. Though that shouldn't have surprised me, seeing the show comes from the creators of Broad City collaborating with the creators of Parks and Rec. The subject matter is just so up my alley. As much as it is a badge of dishonor, 
I loved Entourage back in the day. Behind the scenes show Why business. Why am I not surprised by that, Paul? <laughs> Classic Paul liking the absolute shit that exists in the universe. <laughs> Behind the scenes sh- uh, show business stories are just so interesting to me. And this has all the pleasure- pleasures of that show without all the rampant misogyny. In fact, the show's exploration of gender and politics was nuanced and thoughtful while never forgetting to be funny. Add to that, centering the show around an aging show business icon living in an ornate mansion, constantly covered in sequined dresses and gaudy jewels while being bitchy to everyone around her. If I didn't fall instantly in love with this show and this character, I'm pretty sure I would have had to have my membership to homosexuality revoked. Hannah Einbender as Ava, as the co-lead of the series, manages to more than hold her own against the powerhouse that is Jean Smart. And the rest of the cast are all instantly endearing, as flawed and complicated as many of these characters are. This is a warm blanket of a show, genuinely funny and heartwarming. I love spending time in this world and being around these characters, and I am so keen for season two. Beautiful. Mask, how do you respond all right, I've been looking forward to reviewing this show. Um, so I just want to say that I loved, loved, loved Hacks. I truly can't express how much this is my bag. Dry humour across the board, so much so you'll need an IV and a chapstick just to stay moist. This show screams that humour isn't a job, it's an identity. Both of our main characters are funny women. But this show not only celebrates that, but wants to talk about, you know, what is funny? How do you make people laugh? And what work goes into achieving that? Recently, I saw a brief interview with Jean Smart. I think it was Variety.com posted it on Twitter. And she was talking about the creation of Deborah Vance. And she didn't want to imitate anyone. She said, you know, every comedian has their own style so and, you know, their own rhythm. So she thought it was best to build something from her own self. And this show absolutely benefits from that. When I watch interviews from the stars from the show, their natural comedic style is what we see on Hacks. We have two incredibly funny women who utilize how they say things to make the script shine what we hear from both of these characters are in the voice of the actresses themselves and so there is a natural humor that exists within the show which makes it feel really grounded and genuinely funny in every telling of a quote slash unquote joke the show is given life There is so much natural energy in Hacks that I couldn't help but smile from scene to scene. This show is a compelling drama about an intergenerational friendship of women who are funny. And funny women, you know, you can fight me on this, but I'll I'll beat you. Funny women are the best, the absolute best. There's literally nothing about this show that I disliked. Our two protagonists are always searching for the joke. In every scene, they're always kind of like, you can see their their mind working for the joke. Where is it? Where can I find it? Where can I punch it up? And watching people who have that ability, you kind of marvel at what a talent that is. And this show really celebrates that. 
But beyond the funny, we look at the internal life and drama of each character. We have characters who have, you know, a lifetime of being observational and hyper-intelligent people. You know, they with that, you know, there's a feeling of being above the rest of the world because you see the rest of the world clearly um, or from a certain lens that gives you an air of superiority. And that can oftentimes leave you isolated. And these women don't know it, but they are lacking in human connection. And somehow, in the beauty of this show, they find it in one another. The journey throughout Hacks is compelling, humor-filled, and engaging in every second. I 100% recommend this show. It's, I think, the best I've seen all year. I really just want to get into the nitty-gritty and talk to Rod and Paul about this. I can't wait. I cannot wait to talk to you guys about this in more depth. But that's my review. I loved it. Beautiful. Yes, please. Okay. So Glowing before, reviews. So Go before Brod starts, if yeah. he slams this show right now, are you ever going to talk to him again? <laughs> no. No, okay. I'm not. It's over. It's hunting season I... with Damask and Paul coming up. <laughs> Fucking hated this show. No, I'm not, I'm not, obviously not true. <laughs> very, very, very much enjoyed Hack season one. But I'm going to be honest with you. I can't say I outright loved it. I think... A lot really, really, really works about the show. But like we've talked about this before, there is that difference between really enjoying something and appreciating it and then outright like falling in love with it. I didn't outright fall in love with it, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the performances, particularly from Gene Smart and Hannah Einbinder, are fantastic. They are excellent all the way through. Their chemistry is out of this world. I think you're 100% right, Damask, that they do everything they can to elevate what's on the script. Um, I like all the reasons that you mentioned um, as to why it works so strongly. Uh, But yeah, generally, those two were fantastic. Um, I really like the world and the people that fill it as well. They're, They're mostly very fun, but also quite layered. Good and bad is always intertwined in people. Nobody seems to be, and no situation really seems to be all bad or all good. It's complex in a relatable yet still entertaining way, which is a really hard sort of balance to maintain. Um, Heightened, but not cartoonish, I think, some of these characters. I think the character DJ is a really good example of that. Mm. That idea of like the bratty um, child of a celebrity could be very cartoonish over the top. I've seen that. I think I've seen that done really bratty and cartoonish before. And there were times earlier where I'm like, oh, I see where this character's going. And DJ is not like that. DJ has definitely got her own wishes and goals and desires. And yes, they're informed by the relationship with her mother, but there's just a bit more there that makes them a human being. And I think mm-hmm. that's not an easy thing to pull off and still be entertaining. So I was I was very impressed by that. Um, I think what was also great about the show was just how tight and sharp the the episodes were. There's 30 minutes, there's only 10 of them. We always love that about a uh uh, quick and, and easy to, to absorb season. But like every 30 minutes was just like a really enjoyable time spent. I never felt wasted. I was never looking at my watch, anything like that. It was always a good time when I was watching. I think the comic timing, editing choices stand out. Like there is a really good rhythm throughout this show, uh, particularly when we're dealing with our leads. However, while I think the extended cast is on its foundations is strong, I think that when things do turn away from Deborah and Ava, I didn't necessarily connect with it. There is a side character that gets quite a bit of attention in the back half of the season. They're more of just like 
uh, a secondary character that's informing some of what's happening in the main story. And they start to get their own scenes. And by the end of the season, I was left going, that was a pretty nothing story. And I think maybe it'll be better as they extend into season two. But the time spent away from our core cast, I was a little bit like, ah, this is nowhere near the quality of what was happening back in in story A, if that makes sense. I think it's a very, very, very strong season and a really strong start to a show that I think is going to do great as it goes forward. This is a perfect springboard. I have every confidence the show is going to remain good, if not get better from here. And I can absolutely see why both of you guys loved it. And it's not that I didn't like it. I really enjoyed it. It was an easy watch, but I'm not going to pretend that I completely fell in love with it like you guys did. Boo. How are you feeling about that, Tomas? <laughs> <laughs> Does any of that does any of that make sense though? The... Yeah, it does. I, I, I... Yeah, I get it. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. That's all we'll I'll talk, say. We'll, we'll, talk, we'll talk more about that when we get to our uh, spoiler thoughts, our deep dive discussion. How would you rate this out of five stars, Paul? You first. I'm going to give it a uh, 4.5. I, mm-hmm. I loved it. Lovely. Damask? Yeah, I was um, thinking about a 4.5 because I love this idea of leaving room for a show to grow. But um, this season fucking slaps. I fucking loved it. Um, I Like, you didn't fall in love. I really did. I want to marry this show. I want to have babies <laughs> with this show. I want to, like, grow old with this show and die with them notebook star when we're like 90 years old in a bed holding hands so i'm gonna give this show five stars yeah all right this is getting a little bit extreme you've known this show for all of five hours damas that's all i'm saying I'm well joking. when you know you know bro when you know you know you learnt you learnt the lesson from my mistake as well when it came to ted lasso which yeah, is yeah. True. don't don't hold back don't hold back don't hold that's back it. baby when you look in the eyes of a show and you feel that connection, just jump in. Say it. Say it. Say it. Just say it. Yeah. Exactly. Don't hold back. Absolutely. That's yeah, that's I should give that show a five. Uh, I'm gonna give it a four out of five. Mm -hmm. I think it is excellent. I don't think it's masterful and I didn't fall in love with it yet, but it's definitely excellent. And along with you guys, I highly recommend it. And look forward to what comes in season two. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. It's that time again where we beg and plead at your feet for you all to review us on Apple Podcasts. Nothing helps a show to grow more than by throwing five stars and a rant about how much you love us. Please do it, please. In a move that no one's ever done before, no one's ever thought of this concept, to sweeten the deal, if we reach 25 written reviews on Apple Podcasts, we will finally review Buffy the Vampire Slayer Season 
one. Well, you guys just do it already because Brad and I clearly want to talk about this show and we put about this it. arbitrary number on it. So if you <laughs> don't do it, it's never going to happen and you're ruining our life. This works, Paul, right? This this maneuver works. It's paid off for yeah, your yeah. podcast, we've, right? We've, we've totally gotten to 100 reviews and done a review <laughs> on Face Off already. <laughs> nice. All right. So, we would also love you to share hunting seasons with friends, family, people you pass on the street, whoever you want, if you think they might also enjoy listening. Next week, we'll be back with our review of The White Lotus Season 1. If you'd like to contribute to our discussion of The White Lotus, or if you have any thoughts on hacks, you can write to us or send us an audio recording that we may include on a future episode to contact at huntingseasonspodcast.com or find us on Twitter at HuntingSCast. But right now, let's talk spoilers for Hacks Season 1. You're now entering the Spoiler Zone. Spoiler warning. From here on, we'll be discussing everything that happens in season one of Hacks. Before listening any further, we recommend watching all of Hacks up to this point. If you've not yet done so, proceed with caution. There are spoilers ahead. You You have have been been warned. Deep dive. It's cool to know other people think about this stuff too. Damask, you're obviously... So keen to talk and gush about this show. Where do you want to start? Well, I no longer want to talk to you because you don't love it as much as I do. <laughs> so if you just want to jump off the chat, pull and I'll I can sit have back. a chat. <laughs> you guys go for it. I mean, from the very opening seconds of this show, I immediately fell in love with Deborah. Um, mm. First for her kind of harsh fabulousness. Like, I think from day dot, the first things we see her, she seems like, oh, this woman's an icon. Um, but as the show goes on, we get to see a tender side of her. And at that point, I just wanted righteous justice for her. I was ready to set Las Vegas on fire. Um, so what were our, like, our immediate reactions to the characters that we see? Because I think it's a pretty strong stance we get of who Deborah is, who Ava is. I love them immediately. What are your initial thoughts on them? I, I think... The pilot is extremely strong. Mm. Like I got through that 30 minutes. It was just like, that was fucking the quickest 30 minutes of my life. Mm-hmm. I loved everything about that. It was, I can, like, if you pitched a show based off that pilot, I can see why it would get taken to air. It was just so, so strong immediately. I love the opening shot where we start behind Deborah when she's on the stage. We follow her backstage. Mm-hmm. It's all behind her. It's not until she sits down at the makeup mirror that we get to see her face. Um, we get to know her pretty quickly from then on. Then we get to see Ava in her world. Um, and just the setup. Although I do think it's a slightly flimsy setup to how this starts. I don't want to hold that to the show too much because who really cares what gets the ball rolling as long as the ball gets rolling. But I do think it's like the plan as to like, you're going to go work for this person who doesn't want you to work for them, but I need you to work for somebody because it's like nothing about this really makes sense on any sort of level that a person would do or a situation would happen. No, on the rewatch, I was thinking this feels like, you know, a lot of the films I love from like mostly the eighties really, but also into the early nineties and, the ones I'm going to cite here are just Goldie Horn films, but I'm thinking of like Overboard and House Sitter, where you just like the pr- like the initial kind of inciting incident is, you know, a, a bit silly. Like this like guy doesn't want to lose her <laughs> as his, um, the person he's representing. There's these two characters. He, for whatever reason, has decided to put them together. 
But then I was just so happy that they were yeah. being put together. I was like, fuck yeah. <laughs> Paul? Um, yeah, no, I... I I didn't really have a problem with the the premise that kind of sets it all up. It it, it made sense in the moment. Um, mm. Yeah, my my per- first impressions were very much like Damask. Like Deborah is just you get a sense of who she is so quickly, and you just it's such a interesting and engaging character. Mm. My first thought with Ava actually, um, and I don't know how you'll feel about this Damask was <laughs> that. She reminded me a lot of Damask. <laughs> She's I'll take it. I'll take it. Redheaded, uh, queer, funny, like in the creative industry. Like she, I just thought maybe Damask outing loved- people on Twitter, left, right, uh, and center. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. No <laughs> friends, cancelled. Wait, wait, no friends, Brad. What are you saying? <laughs> Sorry, I was talking about Ava, not about Damask. It's okay. I was pointing out the differences, the things that aren't you know have. Like that's a really common. fucked up way to tell me that you're not my friend. By the way, <laughs> we're, we're co-workers, mate. Have you not noticed? Oh no. <laughs> Did you see a bit of yourself in Ava Damask? Look, yes. <laughs> of course I did, Paul. I was like, well, this is 100% relatable. Um, she is me, I am her, and um, look, I can see that she is not great. <laughs> but I um, I accept that of myself, which I think is what I, ha- what I don't have in common with Ava, is that I can see my faults quite clearly, mm-hmm. whereas Ava, the poor dear, um, you know, has her head in the sand quite a lot as to what her shortcomings are, which we kind of, which unfolds as the season progresses. Do you think that's a problem for some people that Ava might be hard to root for because she's kind of a piece of shit a lot of the time and doesn't seem to be particularly aware of that? Because Steph, who has watched the whole show with me as well, that she liked the show as well. She sort of ended up about the same place I did. And one of the big criticisms she brought up was sort of like, yeah, really don't like Ava. She's a pretty terrible person. I, I can see that, but like Ava is also consistently shat on throughout mm. the scene. It's someone who has a really high opinion of themselves. And what we watch this season is her kind of having this huge reckoning as to who she is versus um, who she perceives herself to be. And at every stage, like, Deborah Vance is the perfect person just like cut her at the knees just be like I have more power you're my employee I can see right through you for a lot of reasons um yeah so I think it yeah I think we're meant to dislike Ava for a lot of reasons but that's part of the journey of the season if Ava was likable I'd be like well what are we doing here yeah boring yeah but also, like, I think you can relate a lot with Ava, like, mm. why she would be acting the way she is. Like, it would be a crushing thing to have your own TV show and having having that all taken away from you because of one joke you make on Twitter. Yeah. And then, and she says the joke, and did you guys feel like that was something to be cancelled over? Like, Well, what I love is, like, the initial joke is, like, oh, we really shouldn't be outing people. Mm-hmm. You should never be doing that. But then I like, you know, in that first episode with her agent, whose name I can't remember, but um, 
Kim being like, you know, the initial joke was one thing, but then you doubled down like for many tweets after that. And that's just kind of like the hubris of Ava being like, Mm. no, 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 I'm funny. People want to hear all my opinions. So I'm going to like just put it all out there. And that's her downfall. But yeah, like Ava isn't the worst person in the world. Like her faults are really relatable, um, which is the part of her that I enjoyed a lot mm-hmm. i was like oh she is shit but shit in the way that a lot of us are shit like we're not <laughs> fucking perfect and we have huge blind spots about our own behavior no i i loved it i did think paul that if that's the joke that got her cancelled there's a lot of people i follow on twitter who should be very cancelled at this point yeah. like i see a lot harsher mm. more biting critiques or something more controversial than that on Twitter every single day from people who are definitely not cancelled. <laughs> and yeah. and maybe that's a comment on her position as well because of her age and experience and lack of profile at that point that and even being a woman maybe makes her more vulnerable to that sort of thing, which actually is probably true. Um, you see that in particularly games journalism, perfect example. If you want to get into Gamergate, like put, say, one thing that people don't like and you get hounded off the internet for it and possibly lose your job because of it. Like, that has happened in similar industries, if not the same one. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do get that, though. And I I don't think it was... I think that part of the premise was totally fine. Mm. Also, they didn't want to say anything too controversial because you didn't want to actually hate Ava for <laughs> saying something that's really cancelable, like something that's worth cancelling, and go, yeah. oh, you're, 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 like, racist or something like that. Like, yeah. it wasn't that. They couldn't do that either. Yeah, no, I think, like, you know, it really is the downfall, I think, particularly for this character. Like, if you posit yourself as being, like, the the funny voice of this generation, one who considers, like, pretty socially aware generation, to do that means that when you make a mistake, a socially inept mistake, there is no reason why you're not allowed to be ignorant to anything. Um Whereas, say, like, I don't know, if someone from an older generation made the same joke, people are like, oh, they don't understand that one shouldn't say mm. this, this, and this. But she is, yeah, put herself in the position of, like, no, this is who I am. What I say is what everyone thinks of, you know, my age, um, of that kind of sensibility. She'd claimed f- the moral high ground. I'm so. faultless, yeah, totally. Yeah. And, yeah, that's that's... C- the repercussions of that are huge and it's something that she clearly hasn't figured out how to navigate. But I think that's a strength of this whole show is um, like a lot of the characters have that shades of grey and that yeah. nuance to them. Like you could easily see like the assistant character Mark or the CEO a character Marcus. Well, CEO. EO by the end of the yeah, show. Yeah, by the end. Um, you could see him as the villain in one respect, but the show goes to great lengths to make you sympathise with him, which I'm guessing is what Brod was saying was the wasted storyline. Yeah, the, the, problem, the yeah. problem was I didn't really ever see him as the villain. I, the, the conflict between Ava and Deborah was much more intriguing. And then the, it was more the, actually the storyline with him and the, the water cop guy, which just felt like it, it just did nothing like that whole thing about you need to go and tell her that you need more time and stuff like that and then he goes and gets you know the or no no not even that sorry he went you need to get like explain that you need respect and that you're not considering my time I'm I'm devoting too much of my time to you and he goes and gets 
essentially what he wanted and she said i actually understand what you've come here to do goes back to the guy and says i got laid got wanted but didn't say it to her and he's just like i'm leaving now i was like what the fuck is that that was just i just find that that's like a b or c tier show sort of way to conclude a storyline it, it lacked any real drama for me and i just felt that was pretty like it, it didn't rise to the level of everything else that was happening in this show and like it's a tiny teeny part but they did devote a certain amount of time to it, and I was surprised by just how whatever it was. I don't know. Maybe because I found the water cop so incredibly attractive, I just didn't mind whenever he was <laughs> on knew. the screen. I knew that was coming. <laughs> no, I find Marx's story, you know, quietly tragic, really. And I think, you know, his relationship with the water cop you can see the potential there and how easy it would be to cultivate kind of this idyllic life, but he is who he is and he simply cannot do what he needs to do to grab that idyllic life and also that's maybe not what he wants. I don't know. I just saw like Marcus was this quietly tragic character yeah, and I I don't, was- I don't disagree with that. I think the water cop guy sort of overreacts in that moment and it was meant to be dramatic, and I don't understand it. What a piece of shit for just deciding to leave at that moment because he didn't quite have the conversation he said he was going to with his boss. And, like, uh, they've known each other for five seconds. I don't know. It just, like, it just did not work on a dramatic level whatsoever. I think it was dramatically inert, basically. But the overall idea of, like, especially if you compare Marcus to Deborah, who are both essentially workaholics, there is something there that's quite interesting about those two and the the push and pull relationship that they have where one is taking from the other um, and the other is giving more, but they're both still really invested in working and being the best at what they do. There's there's stuff there. It's not that there's nothing there. It's kind of just like it's an execution level. I just did execution-wise. We talked about this in Sopranos. Execution, I was surprised by how much that just they didn't stick the landing with that storyline. But... I give the show every chance to improve on that next season. They got Marcus to a point where maybe that's going to go a lot further in season two. Yeah, hopefully just a lot more water cop guy. We'll get to know him a bit more, get to know his inner life. We'll see him standing in a fountain, probably shirtless, you know, that kind of stuff. It's a good idea. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think Ava's storyline sort of journey was this season? What do you think her journey was, Brad? <laughs> well, there was, a, there was a lot of different things going on. There was obviously just for me of connection with a woman in the same in career as her, trying to be funny women, but connecting with an older generation, which was fascinating, mm-hmm. just forming a human friendship and connection. One of the sort of quietly heartbreaking but lovely scenes is when they're talking to each other on the phone, watching SVU or whatever it was, mm-hmm. which I thought was, was kind great. of wonderful and really sad at the same time that that's the place these two women were out their lives well they're so um, devoid of connection that like you see that oh, one that's tiny I mean. moment that's what's sad yeah you see that one tiny moment and you are filled as a viewer with so much joy you're like that's beautiful oh my god and then yeah you it hits you like oh that, they deserve more than that yeah um also obviously learning about sort of what deborah's done for 
like she looks at like the situation Deborah was in when she was doing comedy clubs and the shit she'd have to put up with that Ava wouldn't put up with these days and isn't that rubbish, but also seeing her as a pioneer for the industry and coming to respect her in that way. Mm. There was a lot there. Um, yeah, I, I think, think we see Ava move beyond the here and now and the constant focus of what she's doing. Like we see conversations that she has with a couple of people in the season where they tell her oh, well, you're only concerned with yourself. Like, Mm -hmm. how can you kind of climb that ladder? How can you use me to do that? And in her relationship with Deborah, she learns to look beyond herself and acknowledge the achievements of others, the importance of others and the experience of others. Like when we watch, I can't remember what episode number, but I think it's called A Gig is a Gig. And Mm -hmm. she shamed Deborah for doing something that she considers degrading, not realizing that in that moment saying that in front of a group of people, she herself is degrading Deborah. Mm. Like she just doesn't see others and through this season we kind of we develop her ability to actually do that, to actually I see mean, other people. They probably they both learn lessons from each other obviously. Deborah mm. learns off Ava to be more truthful in what she's doing to to use her position and her comedy as a way to do more, which obviously Ava is very interested in doing. She's a quote unquote truth teller. She wants to tell it raw, that observational. And she finds that funny. Whereas Deborah is more about a classic sort of stand up joke, even at her own expense, if that makes the pe- people laugh. Mm. Then the opposite end, you've got Ava who has learnt off Deborah to be ruthless and cutthroat when it comes to this industry to get ahead, which is where she makes the biggest mistake of the season at the very end, and which is fascinating going into season two, where she has yeah. thrown Deborah 100% <laughs> under the bus with these awful UK producers. I'm so nervous, yeah. I know, what a grenade to throw in there at the end. <laughs> I did think, actually, if the show didn't get a season two, that would still be a wonderful way to end the show. It would Just be. like off on tour, like they've got this thing together, but there's this ticking time bomb behind it all. It's like, mm. uh, until... This is going to fall apart, and wouldn't that, you know, wouldn't it be interesting to see? So yes, I'm looking forward to. There we so go. yes, Paul. What we you were saying about um, like Deborah learning to use like the power she has. Um, mm-hmm. How did you feel about the episode where she gives that guy 1.69 million dollars to stop stand up? Do you think that was actually a good thing to do and a good use of her resources? I think so. I think so because what it proved was that guy didn't really care about comedy that much. He cared about being successful. That was more important to him than actually being a comedian. And so by him choosing, yes, it was $1.69 million, she has the money. She's earned that money doing what she's done for her entire life. And you could say the guy doesn't deserve $1.69 million. True. But in terms of making a point that this guy is essentially a phony, he's not actually as good as he thinks he is, he has bullied his way to the position that he has, and that he's not here for the comedy, he's here for the money, Mm. to make him throw that away for the sake of $1.69 million, I think is extremely powerful, actually. I was surprised there wasn't more of a follow-up to that moment because you see people in the audience who are like filming and stuff, and Mm. and there was no reaction. I was like, that shit would have been... All over Twitter. That would have been she would have been the, the you know Twitter's main character that day after that, we, and it, it didn't I happen. I wonder if we'll see more of that in season two. Her it just feels of, like a bit too late now, but sure. Yeah, but like this kind of rebranding of her as you know this kind of 
icon of a bygone era mm-hmm. becoming actually like the reframing of her narrative and how she came up as this kind of real feminist icon, someone who has seen the worst of the shit having come up in the 70s and 80s and 90s. Um, yeah, I, I feel like we will see a reframing through moments like that one specifically, as well as like her new stand-up as well as, yeah, a very different comedian now. I feel like you maybe didn't feel that way though about that moment, Luke. Did you feel like it wasn't as sort of Luke Paul? Did you not? I don't know where. I have no idea Luke? where. I have no idea where Luke came Ooh. from. Um, <laughs> uh, Paul, did you did you feel differently? Did you think it wasn't as empowering as we thought? Yeah, I mean, I just feel like it was a reward for him. It it was a reward for his bad behavior. I don't think anyone should get. Uh, $1.69 million for being misogynistic, even if it is to Well, technically it was $1.69 million to not be misogynistic anymore or to not... But it was in response to him being misogynistic. If if he had not said anything, he would have got no money. But because he was a pig and because Mm. he, you know, was pretty much sexually assaulting one of the other comics beforehand, he got... $1.69 $1.69 million. I don't know. I just, I felt weird about that moment myself. It was probably my favorite individual scene of the entire show. <laughs> <laughs> How did you feel about it, Damask? I did really like that scene. As, as Brod was saying, I think to prove that this guy doesn't care about his passion for comedy or the art of, you know, comedic writing and performance, it was about. In that room, he was the most powerful person and yeah. that's why he would go to that club, you know, Friday, yeah. Saturday, Sunday, whatever. How, however often he was there, that's why he would go there. And to then bring that up in front of everyone and be like, I'll give you the money, but you don't deserve to be here because you don't love comedy. You're not here for the right reasons. You're here to exert power and nothing else. Here's the money. Fuck off. So in that on that level, it really works for me, like narratively. In a real world setting, would I love if she gave one point six nine million to the woman who was sexually harassed and be like, "Here's a shit ton of money. Take a year off. Write a show. I'll give you some opportunities." That also like would work. But that as is a an extremely scene, good point though, because yeah. the, the criticism was brought up earlier that she once she was at the top of the ladder, she didn't. Like, Deborah made the point that she created the ladder that people could follow her up on. She said a marble fucking staircase. Marble staircase, (laughs) but she was saying she didn't have to carry people up. But she did, I suppose it's the difference between if you consider going up the staircase, being successful at comedy, or, or sorry, being, yeah, doing well in comedy or making money. Mm. And you've got to, you've got to, it's asking you to, to separate those two things, I yeah. guess, because I, I, that's a fair criticism, I think, though. What I, what I love, though, about the conversation that continues throughout the season about that, um, and it reminds me slightly, although not like absolutely, but slightly of a, a late night interview I saw. I saw it in a documentary about Gloria Allred, who's that kind of very famous. Um, lawyer in America and she went she's quite young at the time might be the 70s Um, she's on a late night talk show talking about you know feminism and all that stuff and sexual harassment in the workplace and she is on a late night talk show and the guests before her one of them was Jaja Gabor and another woman 
she's talking about sexual harassment and Zsa Zsa Gabor and this other woman kind of make jokes being like, well, if we had to put up with sexual harassment, like why shouldn't you? And I love the kind of complication of the resentment that sometimes older women feel about younger women not having to, I guess, quote unquote, pay their dues in the same way that they did. And Mm. that's a really complicated issue. And there's a lot of like complicated emotions around that. And it's not simple because obviously a character like Deborah has had to put up with a lot in terms of one, building that ladder herself and leaving it down for other people to follow. Like that's a really difficult position to be in and that's a really hard road to kind of pave yourself. Like it's really complicated and I love to, the fact that they to didn't have made it, to have worked it. through it and then to be criticized that you didn't do enough. Yes. Like that's yeah. like that's intense to have done all of that and to have someone who is in, I assume Ava's meant to be in her mid to late twenties, that person come up and be like, I haven't had to deal with any of that, but also you should have done it better. It's like it's like I myself watching that wanted to like slap her and be like, how fucking dare you? But I no, also I think- know that like she could have done better, sure. But that's with a knowledge that and foresight that simply didn't exist at the time. Like, yeah, there's a whole bunch of layers going on there. I don't think this is that important a detail, but isn't Ava in her early 20s? I feel like she's like 22 or something. She's, she's, suppo- some- uh, she's supposed to be 25. 25, 25. okay. Yeah, for so some reason, I was 22. It's floating around in my head. Yeah, no, I think that's all really valid, interesting stuff. And what, one of the things I do, I do like about the show, though, is it doesn't really say outright if it's good or bad mm. or what's the best way to approach this. And I think that's one of the strongest elements of the show generally is just that, as we've said multiple times now, everyone's kind of complex. No one yeah. is absolutely bad or absolutely good. No one is cartoonish over the top except for Kaylee. Um, like, <laughs> mo- like most people, I think DJ for me was, I was really impressed by how mm. well treated da- DJ was. Yes, yeah, sweet D. I, who, because I haven't watched a lot of um, Always, Always Sunny. Sunny, I was like, I'm pretty sure that's the same actress, but I yeah. don't know. Um, but... Yeah, no, I was impressed by what they did with her because I, th- I think it would be so easy to make a cartoon out of her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like a parody of Lindsay Lohan, you know, that kind of like absolutely young, privileged, a bit off the wall. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, working. Yeah, yeah. And I was really impressed by how much uh, respect the show gave her, I guess, mm-hmm. or just empathy they showed towards her and her situation. Um I really, really impressed me that. Yeah. And we have ups and downs with her. Like we totally. initially see her and she's quite funny. Like when they're going through her purse and she has antibiotics mm. for a UTI, mm. that scene is very funny. And then when Ava and her actually spend time together, like I wrote quote after quote of that scene when they're at that kind of like <laughs> expo, like that amazing. But she seems like, well, quirky, relatable in terms of her relationship and dynamic with her mum and then later on she becomes almost this villain when we learn more about how she's taking advantage of her mum's status you're like oh fuck this chick um and that's kind of where we leave it at that point except except that deborah was enforcing that the entire time 
Yes, like, but we don't know. I, but but like, without a doubt, it is positive. Like it is situated that what DJ is doing is wrong, right? Like mm-hmm. it's it's tragic that Deborah allows her to do that. Um, but in order for her daughter to feel some kind of independence, but then sure. like at that point in the season, but yeah, like, but who 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 is the villain in that scenario? Like Deborah is easily as much the bad guy for like sort of allowing that or not giving her the inter- lying to her about how much independence she has. Like it makes her quite pathetic, DJ in a lot of ways that she doesn't know that her mum is essentially. Funding her lifestyle. No, I disagree. DJ is definitely the bad guy in that scenario. Deborah, Deborah literally allowed, like, goes out of her way to make it happen. She, she rocks no. up deliberately wearing what she was, so TMZ could see her when she goes to her house. Yes, start of that episode. so that DJ can make more money, but she doesn't yes. invent that situation herself. DJ oh, no, no. does that and is selling photos of her mom I get that. for profit. D- but I'm sorry, I think the but like real DJ's question is, that's what's, <laughs> yeah, go on. The, the real question is, would TMZ really give a fuck about these photos? <laughs> like, how many people are logging into TMZ every day to see a 60-year-old female comedian go around doing chores? Like, well, I don't nobody's know. I sh- logging in for that. But the show has done a good job of showing. People wanting photos of Joan Collins. Not Joan Collins, Joan Rivers and stuff. Like, I feel like that's... Yeah I, yeah, I can imagine that. I think the show does a really good job of setting up Deborah. Is very popular, but also people like to pot her. Like mm. that she is part of what has given her celebrity status is that people, and she's encouraged it by the way she she is self deprecating in her humor by being the the crazy woman, right? Mm. So I can see why TMZ people might find the photos of Deborah Vance in less than flattering light might sell to some degree. Mm. But yeah, she's also just a Vegas... Uh, I don't know. I suppose Britney Spears has been working in Vegas for a very long time. Celine Dion, I think those things would still sell. Mm. Like, I think, I like, Deborah Vance, without a doubt, is an icon and people see mm. her as an icon. And, like, her income now is, yes, through Vegas shows. But I think, like, what we get is that she has absolutely cemented herself as someone that people are intrigued by, at least. Yeah, I, I guess um, your comparison to Joan Rivers is probably quite apt. And, like, yeah. up until her death, people were still obsessed with what plastic surgery she was getting and mm. what was happening with her. And, I mean, she had yeah. a very similar relationship with her daughter than the one that we see with um, Deborah and, and DJ, um, that kind of, like, codependent, kind of weird the daughter is counting on the mum's celebrity for her mm. own, you know. So I, I, I will guess say there are a lot of parallels. And, well, I think her name's Melissa. Certainly liked each other more <laughs> than mm, DJ yeah. and Deborah. <laughs> but yes, I think that codependency is absolutely yeah playing a role. You, uh, Carrie Fisher would be the other sort of person I would sort of oh. put there as a bit of a Debbie comparison as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Oh, and vice versa. Down. Um, what's Carrie Fisher's daughter's name? Um, Billy Lord. Billy Lord as well. Mm-hmm. He can go the opposite direction as well. Yeah. Um, so what did we think of the relationship between Deborah and Marty, um, the Christopher McDonald character, the Vegas owner that owns a hotel? Um, my initial thought is sexy as fuck. <laughs> oh, I loved it. I, yeah, I, I, I'll be honest. I really enjoyed the kind of sexy antagonistic nature of their relationship. 
Mm-hmm. I dug it. I dug it very much. I love seeing that side of uh, Deborah. I love their kind of one-upping each other. I thought it was, a, it was a lot of fun and also like propelled the plot forward throughout the season. I can obviously see if you wanted to label as toxic, it'd be really, 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 really easy to do it. And yeah. I wouldn't blame you for doing it. <laughs> However, I know what you mean. Looks healthy to me. Looks healthy to me. <laughs> <laughs> that says more about you than anything else. <laughs> uh, well, first time Ava and now I only have toxic relationships. How dare you guys? Um, but I, I, what I think it works about it and what, again, is the show is really good at is making something that obviously has its bad sides also seem right for some reason. There is a particular companionship and attraction there mm-hmm. that they both genuinely seem to want. The thing that mm. they did smart is not make Marty seem like he was just taking advantage of the situation all the time or something like that or trying to manipulate the situation. Mm-hmm. He may have like... Maybe after the fact has done that a little bit, but mm. I, I genuinely think the show portrays him in a way that he is actually extremely into Deborah. Yeah, and there's a mutual to... attraction that is yeah. undeniable. Mm. Yeah, that's that's the thing that makes it work is that it is, and they those two performers together make it feel. I I agree, it's pretty sexy and it's it works on screen mm. for sure. And, you, and like. He... At most most of the time, he's being honest with her. Like he just he's yes. not trying to hide the fact that he's going to take away her dates at the casino. Like, yeah. and it seems pretty justifiable at the point she's she's been doing the same show mm. day in day out twenty five hundred times and refuses to change it. And I'm sure her numbers are you know going down. So mm. it's completely reasonable, but it's just her personality will just not accept that yeah so, and I he mean, knows that for the most part of the relationship the deception is usually on deborah's she's part. the one like she's alien. the one yeah. who's like playing all these games and yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. which i she's- enjoyed watching that side of her but yeah <laughs> what was he his initial pitch was just don't do weekends anymore but you can do every other night of the week yeah yeah uh, and then yeah, she it sucks that she doesn't want that. An absolute fit in the restaurant and then left <laughs> saying there was a cockroach in my salad, which I loved. Meanwhile, how fun. amazing did she look in that scene where she was like taking the pictures with all his artworks? She looked yes. stunning in this show. Loved like. it. Well, I was uh, watching like, um, not watching, sorry. I saw, <laughs> I read a headline. <laughs> so I feel like I watched something. <laughs> I saw a headline being like, you know, the costume designer talking about making Jean Smart as sexy as possible and yet like they don't actually show any of her body. Yeah. And I was like, that might be true and maybe you're doing something that I just subconsciously was taking in but not acknowledging just visually. But I was like, you know, you've also got Jean Smart who's yeah. fucking sexy. Like She's she just is. Like she could be wearing anything and I'd times. be like, hubba dubba 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 yes. Did you appreciate the fact that they like fit in a lesbian kiss between her and Ava? <laughs> what a way to start an episode. Like, Did that's, I lose my that's shit? That's how you Absolutely. start an episode. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she was like, watching Carol the night before. It well, that's sense. the thing is like that was going to be in my side notes. The joke about like, you know, I did watch Carol the night before and then Kiki goes... <laughs> Well, yeah, that's definitely it. You watch Carol. Like, <laughs> oh, that, that was, was so funny to me. Um, so what do we think about... There are two side characters that stand out because I liked one of them and they were edgy on cartoony and I didn't like the other one because I thought they went too far. Mm-hmm. And I liked Kiki a lot, mm. but I yeah. didn't like Kayla a lot. 
I thought Kayla, not that I didn't enjoy Kayla, I just thought Kayla was from a different show. Like, mm. Kayla was so... Like, that scene where she's wearing the pyjamas or whatever in the <laughs> in the <laughs> hotel, I was like, yeah. this is a different show. I don't think it's this one. That, that was Broad City. That, that was, was Broad, Broad City. Broad yeah. City seeping or into this show. Parks and Rec or, yeah. like, one of those shows. It was that cartoony sort of mm-hmm. over-the-top humor. And I don't think the show really... Had, I think the show had really done a good job of avoiding that at that point. And Kiki, Kiki is a manic pixie dream girl, essentially. Like, she is not really a, a character. She's just sort of an, an entity of energy, I guess. Yeah. But she didn't right, quite go to cartoony for me, I guess. Mm. I don't know. I like Kiki because she brings a different energy of womanhood like she's Mm. not like funny funny she doesn't Mm. bring that but she brings like this real warmth and she is funny though not purposefully um yeah no i thought she was a nice reprieve from like the harshness of these two really dry funny women constantly butting heads and she was this woman that they well we don't see a lot of her and deborah but deborah likes her and then with Mm. her and ava she's just a nice kind of sounding board someone who can she can relax around. I, I thought that was a probably a really necessary character yeah. to have without it feeling, well, it stops it from feeling too harsh. But I will dis, I mean, I don't disagree about Kayla, but I really enjoyed Kayla. Mm-hmm. I laughed with everything she said and everything she did. I found her very, very funny. Steph did too. I was yeah. the one no, exception I, like, to this, I think. <laughs> I think. I think about her makes me laugh. It might have also been that, like, Kiki is not dumb, but Kayla is dumb. And it's like, I don't know. I think the show's doing a really good job of being smart all the time. Yeah. People are allowed to be dumb, and that's funny. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, uh, I don't know how much time you've spent in LA, but you don't have to spend that much time to realize that over the top caricatures of LA people aren't really that over the the top. top. (laughs) (laughs) That could be part of it. I'm sure Kayla exists in the real world. I'm sure of it. Yeah, I'm sure they're like the writers. They've all worked with Kayla before. You know, what I mean? sure. like they all know that person. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I did want to ask one other question, actually. And uh, yeah, it's not really important whether it, this is yes or a no, but do you think the stand-up was actually successfully funny? So not like the, the day-to-day stuff between Deborah and Ava. It's when... Deborah is on stage doing a, a stand-up gig, or anybody is basically. And this is a question we often asked about Marvelous Mrs. Maisel as well, which obviously shares a bit of DNA about being female comedians. Um, do you think her her on-stage comedy was funny? I mean, it's not my kind of comedy, but I've mm. also watched a shit ton of Joan Rivers' comedy, and it is pretty similar like that's yeah. absolutely the jokes they do and i could see why people would find it's also like similar to kathy griffin mm-hmm. i like kathy griffin as a person i really fucking like her but her comedy styling is not for me but a lot of people mm-hmm. love her and it's quite similar to that so in in terms of like showing that type of comedian i think I think it was successful. Was it me going, ha, 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 this is an amazing comedy set? No. But it it was an accurate, I think, portrayal of those comedy stylings. Yeah, I would agree. Like, I never, like, really laughed out loud 
during those sets, but they felt genuine. I mean, they were a bit more reserved than a Joan Rivers, like because Joan oh, yeah. Rivers she'll really, go balls to the wall. Yeah, she yeah. didn't give a fuck about getting cancelled or anything, so she would like cross every line imaginable. Whereas I'm, which is understandable that the show wouldn't want to go there, but um, it, it did feel right. Yeah, we can't have Deborah like actively doing you know a five minute set of like fat shaming a celebrity which is like mm. what Joan Rivers would do but it just right. wouldn't work now in a show to actually show that yeah no I think you're 100% right I think while I didn't necessarily find it funny I can believe that there is an audience that would pay mm. every night to come and see her and think it was funny for sure yeah mm. any last words final thoughts that's why you always leave a note do you guys have any side notes? Guests first, as always. Okay. Um, so I've got two side notes, but they're not really about the show. But um, oh, okay. I just want I just Is want to one say, of them that the water cop is hot? <laughs> no, not about hotness. Uh, but uh, I just want to say, like, how much is HBO Max killing it? Like, between this, Love Life, Generation, Made for Love, Flight Attendant... And in America, It's a Sin was a HBO Max show as well. Like, these mm, are some of my true. favorite shows of the year. And I've really seen from It's this- a Sin. Yeah, that's okay. the only one I've seen so far as well. Okay. You remember, we're, we're trying to fit in six seasons of Soprano okay. in here as well. So, <laughs> so <laughs> time for all the new um, comedy, all the new stuff. Well, all those shows I mentioned, I absolutely loved. And the great thing about, like, Love Life Generation, Made for Love, this, is that they're all, like, half an hour shows. Nice. And, and Flight Attendant is a 45-minute an episode show. So, like, I hate all these bloated, overlong shows. And, and this is what I really appreciate about this show, but it just seems to be maybe like an ethos of the HBO Max model that the show the episodes don't rarely go over an hour. So I really appreciate that and I encourage it to continue. Um, is, other- Apple, is Apple TV sort of doing the same thing? Like, they've had a really high hit rate of what they've done. I'm trying yeah. to remember what their episode lengths are like. You've watched Dickinson, haven't you, Yes, Denise? I fucking love Dickinson. How oh. long was an episode of Dickinson? I don't remember. I was just enjoying the ride. <laughs> well, this is a waste of time. What were you going to say, Paul? Uh, my other note, side note is, um, so the guy that plays the uh, agent, Paul yes. W. Downs, who obviously mm-hmm. was in Broad City, Broad City. Yep. Was, um, and he's one of the creators of this he also um was one of the writers and creators along with the broad city people of a movie called rough night did mm. any of you guys watch that with scarlett I, I remember the trailers i've never watched it mm. oh wait with scarlett johansson and that had did it have a lana glazer in it yes i did watch that now and I really liked it. It got That's really bad reviews. Say. It Everybody got really bad reviews. That movie and but I it's had a great. great time. I had a great time <laughs> watching it. I lo- and it's got that chick from Workaholics who's yeah. also in um what twenty two Jump-, Jump Street. Yeah. The sequel. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I had a great time. I thought it was yeah, really fun. So that was my other side note. For anyone who loved this and loved Broad City, if you haven't seen Rough Night, you have to watch Rough Night. That wasn't yeah, a side agreed. note. You just did a, what's the segment on your show? Tenuous Recommendation. Tenuous Recommendation. That's what you did. <laughs> Get your oh, Swap Cast podcast out of about 100 sneaky. seasons. Oh, uh, sorry. <laughs> Damask, what about you? Any side notes? Amazingly enough, I've got so many side notes oh, and I never God. have side notes anymore. Um, but 
Yes, absolutely. And it also helps that I've now watched this show twice over. So the te- second time I was watching, I was once just writing- legally. Yeah. Once less so. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I'll just write down quotes that I enjoyed. So right off the bat in the first episode when Ava and Deborah first meet and in that scene, Ava says, I didn't realise this was a shoes off situation. And then Deborah just immediately goes, well, it's shoe dependent and it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, also when Deborah is reading over Ava's jokes and she goes, what are these thought poems? <laughs> if that's not like an indictment on Twitter, I don't know what is. Um, and then when Ava is talking about, you know, the complexity and fluidity around her sexuality and Deborah's reaction is, Jesus Christ, I was just wondering why you were dressed like Rachel Maddow's mechanic. <laughs> Love that. Um, in the episode where Ava has to go and get the pepper shaker from the antique dealer, and when she's threatening him, she says, fuck you, Lemony Snicket. <laughs> <laughs> in episode four, when Deborah is talking about they're going to like QVC and she's got to sell these foot spas. Can you think of some jokes to write? And Ava's like running off ideas. And Deborah says, it's like watching Picasso sing. Ava responds, you mean paint? And Deborah just goes, no. no. <laughs> there was also like a tiny line and it was like it was it was said during a transition shot between scenes and it's not acknowledged but it's a hilarious scene and Deborah just says to Ava at one point you need to pick a genital like it just <laughs> <laughs> made me laugh so much. Um DJ's statement of I never said my oils would cure all types of autism. <laughs> which was amazing. Um, also in that episode, DJ says, I tumble my rocks myself. It's kind of what sets me apart. No one else self-tumbles. <laughs> um, when Ava's wearing those ridiculous earrings and she goes, they look like a key to another dimension. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was great. Um, I also appreciate this line from Ava because I also follow Busy Phillips and she says, <laughs> uh, I follow Busy Phillips on Instagram and she's constantly talking about jewellery people. Thank God watching thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of those Insta stories finally paid off <laughs> because Busy Phillips notoriously just, it's hours of Insta stories. I also love when Ava is with um, the guy who I think is the actual, like, so you mentioned earlier that Kiki was this kind of manic pixie dream girl. Yeah. I love that the guy who eventually kills himself, um, he is actually a manic pixie dream guy. Mm-hmm. And I love in this world they have to acknowledge that the only way for that person to actually exist, someone who lives with no consequences of their actions, is someone who is going to, yeah, kill themselves the next day. So yeah. with that, before you move on, yeah. I just want to ask about that that episode though, because I'm yeah. sitting here going, "Oh, I love this guy, but something has to be wrong here. Mm-hmm. Something has something to be has wrong." Something has to be. <laughs> it's like it's going. The shoe's going to drop eventually. I don't want it to. And then yeah, I was like, "Oh fuck, okay, right, that's it." And it's the shoe is him, and he drops. <laughs> um, DJ playing the Jurassic Park theme song. Uh, that, was, that was amazing. That, that was, was such a good moment. <laughs> Another moment is like the mayor of Las Vegas is giving a toast. And this is also like in a transition into like the beginning of her speech. And you just, you hear it, but it's not the focal point of the scene. 
and you just hear her saying, a dear friend of mine for a couple of weeks as she's talking about someone in her life. I love that. <laughs> and when um, Deborah is talking about DJ's therapist and she, or social worker as Deborah calls her, um, and she says, if she can't figure out her adult acne, she certainly can't figure out your life, <laughs> which is so harsh. <laughs> and also the assumption <laughs> that Ava <laughs> says to DJ about, getting her GED and DJ says like I went to Cornell (laughs) (laughs) that was great Um, also uh, a tiny moment when uh, Deborah comes into Ava's hotel room she walks in she's talking a whole bunch and then she turns to a part a certain section in Ava's hotel room and Ava says that's my bra bucket which is (laughs) I feel that on a real personal level. Fol- followed by her matcha latte station. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So just lots of quotes where I was like, this show is uh, fucking funny. I love how you never bring side notes. So today you brought the entire show. All of them. <laughs> yeah. I, like the entire time them. I was rewatching, I was like, and this quote, and this quote, and this quote. I could have just brought to you the whole script. because You've made up it's, for about 50 podcasts with side notes. Yeah, Lovely. It's amazing. I actually have three to add to that. So if you haven't watched the show at this point, you don't need to anymore. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, this is a quote from episode one. It was actually in a transition as well. It was like, it wasn't said like properly on screen. Yeah, he's an actor. He ha- says he's shooting some Richard Linklater movie, but I guess we won't know if that's true for 20 years. I thought it was <laughs> really good. My favorite one though, TV is a second tier screen. It's basically like reading a book at this point, which I wrote down at the time is I'm going to remember that. And in fact, brought it up with a client today. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Some little observations as well that aren't lines for a change. Um, I love the bit with going to the wax museum to open Deborah's phone. So good. And it made me go now, hold on a second. If you can do it with a wax dummy, can you just do it with a photo? And so I tried that for about 10 minutes to try and open my phone with a photo of myself and it didn't work. So... Know that a wax dummy might, if you need a solution mm. like that. You need that well, 3D. Uh, uh, the wax mummy that was very obviously just her, like, standing very still. Yeah. Was it, though? It was. It was, definitely, it was definitely. <laughs> Kirby, how about Baptiste? Just keeps showing up in great shows. I don't know who her agent is, but they're fucking amazing. I know she's yeah. been involved with some of the people who did this because of The Good Place and stuff like that, but that was cool. Um Coming into this world alone and leaving it alone comes up twice in the show. Two separate people bring up that like, not like really nihilistic philosophical idea. I was like, this show is going to a dark place. <laughs> um, okay, I love a metaphor. Her wearing the shoes that had the heel during the performance at the end, I thought was wonderful. Do you know what I'm talking about? I didn't notice it. Okay, I don't uh, remember. That- so, I thought this was really impressive. So, before uh, Deborah goes on to do that final show, a 2500 show or whatever, she asks um, Marcus. Marcus, yeah? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which shoes should I wear? These ones, which are plain, but I know I can walk in them. Or these ones, which are fantastic, but, you know, I might fall over. And yeah. he says, go with uh, what you know, uh, the ones that are comfortable. When we see her on stage and she's chosen to do the Ava set, she's wearing the sparkly shoes with the huge heel. 
Oh, symbolism! And I was like, that is fucking cool. And it's not a mistake or anything like that because they deliberately show her feet in a close-up to make you realise it as well. That's when it hit me. I didn't even notice. Yeah, I was I, I, I was I thought it was like, I'm gonna bring this up and everyone's gonna be like, yeah, duh, broad. But like I thought that was really cool. That were like <laughs> that's similarly there. Or that metaphor. Um also I I know we see shows that have them, but I just wish more shows did opening sequ- opening title sequences. Mm-hmm. I'm I find the like end of scene. The title of the show over two seconds of footage, keep going. I don't know. There's just the show always misses a little bit of its own identity when it doesn't have. I just, there's something about a title, title sequence that I really like. And Hacks is another one of those shows that's super tight, so it doesn't have time for it. But even something that just lasts five seconds would be better. So you want like a two minute sequence of a microphone being built in close? No, no. You know what? That's a very good point, Paul. It's a very good point. They deconstruct a microphone and like a It'll sad be- cover of a song playing. Over. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you make a very good point. Uh, least favorite and favorite episodes. What was your least favorite episode, Paul? Uh, I w- I I really liked all the episodes, but I would have to say my least favorite was episode nine, just because of the fact that I knew that her going to do the interview behind her back was going to cause a riff and it stressed me out and I hate those kind of contrived things where if people just talk to each other then they could avoid conflict and that was definitely one of those situations if she just explained it might have not gone over as badly as it did so even though it was still a good episode and there was a lot to appreciate in it um, it was the least breezy episode to watch if that makes Mm -hmm. sense yeah I feel that Damask? Um, yeah, like I loved every episode. Um, but on the rewatch, I'm going to have to say episode five, which is the one where Avery is hanging out with the Manic Pixie dream guy um, who eventually kills himself. Um, just because there isn't enough like Deb and Ava and that shit sure. just gives me life. Like I was like, oh, I just want more of that. Um, but the first time I watched it, I was enthralled in that episode but simply on the rewatch i'm gonna say that one i'm gonna say episode two prim i think this show has that classic second episode slump where the pilot was so so good and so tight that it was impossible for a second episode to really continue that energy completely and also yeah, it's got to sort of... The second episodes often just have to sort of get you to the next step of the story. Mm. And I just... I I know this whole thing of like this, the pepper shake or whatever and I did, didn't really... I didn't find that necessarily as compelling as everything that came in the first episode nor what came later. So I'm going to say episode two. Not a bad episode though. I still had a very good time. Uh, what's your favourite episode, Paul? Uh, I would have to say... Episode six, New Eyes, the one at the retreat. That is a good um, Yeah, I love the fact that you thought that the big conflict of the episode was going to be her um, having to delete the email, but it gets mm-hmm. resolved in like two seconds at the beginning of the episode. And then um, the whole episode is really about the two characters like really getting to know each other and spending mm-hmm. time with each other and forming that relationship, which is like the core of the series. And that's when it... I, the whole series kind of takes a turn at that point. So, um, yeah, I really enjoyed number six. That's It was on my shortlist, Paul, and I think that's a really good choice. Damask? Um, I was considering episode seven because it's like 
DJ's birthday episode. We've got the Carol jokes and the sexual tension that Ava is suddenly <laughs> feeling. We've also got the great dynamic between Deborah and DJ. But I will have to agree with Paul, and I think mine's episode six. I think mm-hmm. the joy I felt watching them bond, we also get that different kind of perspective of Deborah as she talks about her trauma, but in a really funny way. Um, and starts kind of considering expanding her set. Um, and that friendship really starts to develop in that episode. I think it's a really important one. It's really lovely, but with lots of, yeah, good jokes and beautiful humor. Yeah. It does It does really refocus the season into mm. like the end game. I'm actually going to change my choice based on that. Um, I was going to say episode one, but I think it's a little bit too easy. Pilots are kind of easy, like fish in a barrel to choose. I think see, episode six is on my short list. I'm going to agree with you. It was really good. Plus, we've got the great sequence where... Um, Ava drops the phone on Deborah's face. While she yes. Was- <laughs> <laughs> and and yeah. also just poor Perla as a character in general. I thought yeah. they had a lot of fun with her as well. Oh, my God. Uh, when they traumatize her and she starts yeah. crying. So sorry for her. <laughs> I'm like, this woman is a healthcare worker. Do not do that to her. Yeah. yeah. Uh, hello, my funny lady. Predictions, <laughs> hopes, concerns. What are we thinking going forward into season two? Which is definitely coming. It has been renewed, which is yeah. excellent news. Well, it seems like it's going to be like a road trip kind of situation with them going to a whole bunch of different locations, I'm guessing. Stolen straight from Ms. Maisel, Marvel's Ms. Maisel season three. I was thinking Great. that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's, a, it's, it's a natural thing for com- for a stand-up comic to do, though. Yeah. So I um, it'll be interesting to see how they integrate like the side characters into that because like if they're not based in Vegas, like Will, uh, is it Lily, the... Is it Lily? Kiki, sorry. Is Kiki, like, really, does it make sense for her to be around? Yeah. Like, is she still going to be involved in her or her QVC kind of stuff? So then, like, what role does Marcus play in that? Um, Yeah, so, like, you can definitely see where Deborah and Ava are going to be, but I think I have no idea what's going to happen with any of the other characters. Like, she's not going to be in Vegas anymore, so, like, what does it like her relationship with Marty? Is that mm. going to go anywhere now that they have no business relationship with each other? That's a good question. I wonder, considering the amount of money she has, whether she might be, depending on where she is in the country, flying back for large stretches in Vegas anyway. That's what I'm thinking as well. Like, if you know, she's has access to a PJ, it mm. makes sense that maybe every now you're calling third... it a PJ. <laughs> well, I've watched enough reality TV show. Uh, Is that what they actually call them? Vanderpump Rules, specifically. They call it a PJ. <laughs> okay. Yeah, sorry. I thought that uh, well, was a Lala joke. Kent okay. from Vanderpump Rules calls it a PJ. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was thinking like maybe every like third episode, if not more frequently, they might be back at home because um, mm. that's kind of the the luxury she has. Um, yeah, so I, I certainly think we'll probably see less of Kiki, but that's okay because we don't really see a whole lot of her anyway. She just kind of is a almost like a home comfort for our characters. Yeah, which is nice she to sort have. of just flits in and out when they need her. There's, she's not really a character with a story or anything like that going on. Yeah, yeah. So I'll obviously, like, be interested to see how the dynamic between Deborah and Ava plays out obviously with this new kind of spanner in the works do we um, think that's going to come into play immediately do we think that's going to be sort of a ticking time bomb underneath it that Ava's just trying the background trying to like suppress in some way I think it'll probably come out in the first third how mm. how long it takes to be resolved I'm not sure but I think like within the first 
yeah, third of the season, it will come to a head in one way or another, um, which is good because you don't want to like play out that kind of shit for too long. I mm. mean, if they do, I have no, I've got a, you know, faith in the rise that they can do pretty much anything at this point. Um, but yeah, you want to be able to enjoy the relationship without being too stressed out for too long, I guess. Could we see a universe where Deborah's like finds out about it and is like, well, if you're going to base this show about me, I want to be involved and ends up as an executive producer. That's a yeah, fucking a cool idea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I that's mean, a fucking that, cool idea. She's a smart businesswoman, so it wouldn't surprise me all that much, yeah. And puts Ava back in the writer's room or something like that potentially, which would be interesting to see her in that dynamic. It's where she's mm. come from, but we never really saw it. I actually love that idea, Paul. I hope if that's they exactly made a show what together, they do. That would be incredible. <laughs> that's yeah. a fucking cool idea. Yeah. I actually love that. It's like they do a couple of... A couple of like of the tour shows. Someone says, "Forget the tour. Let's make it a TV show." There's, a, we're already <laughs> going to do this anyway. After, yeah, I, mm, yeah, that's an interesting idea. I like that. Um, I don't have anything to add on top of that. I think you guys have are pretty much think what I'm thinking. But one thing I did just think about as you were talking about like Vegas, we've watched one other show in the last couple of years that was set in Vegas in Glow season three. Rest in mm. peace, Glow. And one of the problems I had with that season was I, I didn't really love the time we spent in Vegas. I didn't like like it as a setting or as a character, mm-hmm. like New York's a character. Um, in that show, I really actually appreciated how Vegas was sort of represented in this show. It felt, I don't know, it just it just it had a a really good feel to it. It was an entertaining place to be without being over the top. It wasn't all mm-hmm. about fucking showgirls and shit like that. It just having spent a, like a couple of days in Vegas it was like, oh yeah, this feels yeah. Well, it's natural. like it felt it really, authentic. Yeah, authentic it really might be works because in terms of like the plot, it makes Vegas seem like a fishbowl, right? Like so, it's mm-hmm. like this one place that you just kind of have to exist in. You can't simply just like. Travel out of it. Okay, Las Vegas is this fishbowl that our characters are swimming around in um, that is full of all of these kind of absurd circumstances um, and you just get to watch them play around in it. Whereas, yeah, in Glow, I don't think it serves the plot, whereas here that kind of isolation and absurdity that you get in Las Vegas really served the plot, in, certainly in terms of Ava's storyline. And uh, props for the show that this was completely shot during COVID-19 and it did not feel that way. Like I've watched a few shows like Bold Type and a couple of others that have done this and Younger as well where you feel that Mm. this was shot in COVID-19. Like a party scene that should have 100 people in it suddenly has 10 for no reason. Whereas this show, I never felt it. It always felt like just business as usual. It helps when you're telling a story about isolated people. Yeah. Yeah. It it is an interesting time we're entering into with television where some shows that have been greenlit either were greenlit because they could take advantage of because of COVID um, or were written exclusively to do so. Mm. Um, We've got this, obviously, I think part of the reason they could do a show like Hacks is because uh, a lot of it's spent inside Deborah's huge fucking mansion, mm. and the re- some a lot of the time beyond that is set inside a hotel, which were empty anyway, so easy to shoot in one of those because no one was going to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the show we're doing next week, The White Lotus, 
was shot in Hawaii, which again, it was a huge hotel that no one was using anymore because no one was traveling. Mm. And so incredible way to take advantage. I do wonder, I'd need to look into this. Was there a script for the White Lotus just sitting there? They're like, we've been thinking about doing this thing. It wasn't really the top of our list, but like, this is a perfect show we can shoot right now. No, HBO um, had a gap in their schedule because of COVID. So yeah. they reached out to Mike White and said, we need a show. Can so you they read it specifically. And, and he wrote it specifically to fill that gap. That's very impressive. Yeah. It is interesting what adversity does to creativity. And, you know, the White Lotus, which we're going to talk about next week, mm. and mm. Hacks too, have been hugely critically acclaimed. So I'm looking forward to that. Mm. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Hunting Seasons. You can find more of what we do via our website, huntingseasonspodcast.com. Our logo comes from Sean Kirkpatrick, a.k.a. at Shawnee Boy Draws. Our theme song and bumpers from Lucas Heil of Birthday Loyalty Club. Find links to their work in our show notes. Paul, once again, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. No uh, worries. Did you want to come back for White Lotus? Are you on next week as well? Yeah, I'll, I'll be here. I'm, You'll be I'm, here. I'm, I'm, I'm like a bad smell. You can't get rid of me. <laughs> if, if we can make the scheduling work, let's definitely have you on again next week. That'd be awesome. Uh, yeah. Where can people find you? Um, just the swapcastpodcast.com. Search the Swapcast Podcast on any social media. We're on all of them. And Are you- uh, our Instagram, as always, I'm always posting the thirst traps of all the people in our movies. So <laughs> if you want some shirtless dudes... Do you there. want to cross promote and put on the shirtless water cop on your on their forest? That'd be lovely. Is there shirtless pictures of him anywhere? I feel like there was a shirtless scene, but maybe I'm, I'm listen, sure you can it, Google it, Paul. I, I reckon you can. Find That's one. what I'll be doing right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, are you telling people what's on your next episode of Swapcast? Yeah. So our next uh, review will be of the early two thousands classic uh, <laughs> Monkey Bone, starring. Brendan Fraser and Bridget oh, Fonda. Nice. Brendan Fraser is so hot right now. It's good yeah. timing. So we're we're always you know riding the zeitgeist at Swapcast Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> You can also find myself, Broderick Gordis, on Twitter at TheGordisDamask. You can find me on Twitter at Maskymu, M-A-S-K-Y-M-O-O. Next episode, we'll be back, as said before, to discuss The White Lotus Season 1. In the meantime, thank you again for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye for now. Bye. See ya. Good night, everybody. And so, Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.